Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Sorkin Cast, episode 60 of the podcast. This week we are covering the season one finale of The Newsroom, entitled The Greater Fool, season one, episode 10. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find contact links to send me feedback. You can also find podcast app links, and if you could take the time to leave me a review on whatever podcast app you use, it would be very much appreciated. It helps me stay more noticeable among other casts, and it helps me know what you like or dislike about the show. And you have just a short period of time to get those in if you want to be included in the feedback podcast, which will come out next week. If you're getting this on the Sunday morning then you just have a couple of days. If you're getting this on December 4th, you just have a couple of days to get your feedback in for anything regarding the the season one of the newsroom or to leave podcast app reviews of the written kind if you want them read during the feedback podcast. December 6th, 2016 is the deadline. That's a Tuesday, and you need to get it to me by noon on that day, wherever you are in the world, which means that if you live in China, then your noon is going to come before somebody who lives in Hawaii. But noon on Tuesday, December 6th, is your deadline, wherever you are in the world, to leave me feedback regarding anything in the newsroom. That includes your nominees for the Newsroom Season 1 Awards, which uh, the categories are favorite and least favorite episode, favorite and least favorite scene, favorite and least favorite main character, favorite and least favorite guest star. So if you want to include some feedback, get on it. You only have a little bit of time. We will be announcing next week as well what you chose for what we're going to cover next. And you can find those results at the website in the What's Next tab already. But uh, I will make the official announcement since I'm pre-recording these podcasts. I'll make the official announcement during the feedback podcast, which will come out next week. Okay. Season 1, Episode 10, The Greater Fool. It was a season finale of the newsroom season 1. It was written by Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Greg Matola. It first aired on August 26th of 2012 and was viewed by an estimated 2.3 million viewers in its first airing on that Sunday night. Here's an episode summary. Will suffers from an acute case of bleeding from a stomach ulcer and is hospitalized. There he learns that an elderly Tennessee resident will not be able to vote because of a recently passed voter law. This is then the main story when he returns to Newsnight. 
Charlie tells NSA whistleblower Solomon Hancock that he cannot use him because he has contaminated the story. Later, Hancock commits suicide by throwing himself off the Queensboro Bridge. Sloan tries to draw attention to the congressional problem on the debt ceiling and ponders a job offer. Everything is overshadowed by a showdown long in the making. It finally explodes as Will, Mac, and Charlie confront Leona, played by Jane Fonda, and Reese during a volatile lunch meeting. TMI gossip columnist Nina Howard, played by Hope Davis, has information that can destroy Will's career and life by revealing that he was high during the Bin Laden report. That bombshell is diffused, however, when it is revealed that the magazine obtained the information through hacking McKinsey's voicemail. And there are always a few funny moments in every single episode, so we try to put all those together in one big clip up front. We call it the rundown. Here are your funny moments. He was sleeping for a while. Yeah. Mm. That's good. You need to rest. Yeah. Why did you do this? Hey! What is wrong with you? I've been waiting two days to hear you. I appreciate your patience. Don't want your wise-ass remarks. I was just checking this. I'll fix it. Yeah, the nurse can get that back in there. Does it feel like something life-threatening is happening right now? What is it I'm wearing? I bought you some pajamas. You like them? How did I get into them? The nurse changed you into them while you were asleep. What's wrong here? He knocked out one of his tubes. Don't play with these. You really shouldn't. She changed my clothes? Um, well... Hey. Hey, look. Jim's here. Yeah, I can see him too. Tell us what's happening, Jim. The JPL says the Mars orbiter may have found water. You hear that? Mm Mm-hmm. And where did they find the water? God. On Mars. Cool. There was another lockdown at Virginia Tech, but it was a false alarm. Jim says there was another... I'm right here. How about office gossip? Office gossip? Yes. Maybe you can lift Will's spirits with tales from the office. Why is she talking like this? Ow. Ow. You want to end up like me and him? Oh. Wasting time and now he's practically dead? I'm not practically Eat dead. Eat jello. You've got to do something before he asks her. No. Why not? It doesn't seem like a very nice thing to do to Don or Maggie or Lisa. So you're willing to end up like the two of us? A strong, beautiful vital woman and a hollowed out shell of a man you know i'm awake now that's a dead person speaking basically and i'm gonna have to spend the next god knows how many hours in mourning please go back to work he will i'm talking to you being bedridden suits me how many times do i have to tell you this guy is an idiot hell has no fury like the second rate don't you know that he quotes my colleagues everyone i respect in news you respect the wrong people no were any of them quoted by name plenty of them anyone that doesn't have an axe to grind with you the rest were pussy-ass, coward-ass, pussified pussies. Did you know that Maggie and Don are moving in together, even though Maggie should be with Jim and Don should be with Sloan? How many lives must you ruin before you'll get out of the life-ruining business? It's a cautionary tale. Maggie is now with the wrong man. It's not going to last. Because true love always wins? Yeah. You're melting now, aren't you? Your heart is full. Just say what you're feeling. Why the...
Didn't you tell me? I was yeah. waiting for the right time. Eighteen months ago was the right time. Well, it was you. No, it was you, Billy. Hire her. What did the rest of the message? Screw it. Just feed him another ten cookies. A hundred more death threats. Yeah. But we're pretty sure they're not serious. Not these hundred, but after tonight, I expect the next hundred will be very serious. What do you protect me for? Seventeen hundred a week plus health and dental. I wouldn't take a bullet for seventeen hundred a week. Me neither, pal. So I've learned how to duck. Sometimes these characters are just so teenager, um, and, and I mean. Charlie Sorkin's like trying to fit the word pussy in as many times as he can in three seconds it's just so bizarrely strange I don't know Um, now I have to say before we get into the story that I cut out almost all of the news broadcast portions of this show in these clips Uh, I hope people don't mind that I just feel like that this story it was much more interesting to look at the stories of the characters rather than Sorkin kind of uh, everybody's favorite word that I use pontificating uh, his own viewpoints and slanting it towards the news of the day as someone who usually leans left myself I I just wanted to say that I have agreed with most of the news stories presentations uh, throughout the season but the presentations uh, sometimes get a little more heavy-handed um, than his White House staff in the West Wing, who are supposed to be politicians talking about the issues from their point of view. <laughs> so I uh, just thought I'd, I'd just point that out, that we're going to stick mainly with the story of the characters in this particular episode. And that brings us to clip one, where Will is found by Mac and Lonnie passed out with blood, and the emergency room reveals why. Jim looks for a way to connect better with Lisa. Mac and Will have it out about the article, and Will says he's not coming back. Nina approaches a Mac about Will being high while reporting about Bin Laden, and Charlie has to tell Solomon Hancock that he can't use him as the face of the NSA story. He's out of immediate danger, but we're going to have to stop the internal bleeding. What happened? Why was he coughing up blood? He wasn't coughing up blood. He was vomiting blood from his stomach. There's upper GI bleeding, probably a perforation. You're describing a bleeding ulcer? Yes, we're prepping him for an EGD. I don't know what that is. We're going to put a tube with a camera down his throat. Does he take any pain medication? Hardly ever. It's called, um, ugh. Naproxen. Yeah, what about antidepressants? No. Yes. He takes 135 milligrams a day of infection. Since when? I gotta keep some confidentiality. No, not anymore. When did he start taking antidepressants? Has he been particularly depressed about anything recently? Yes. Yes. A magazine article, a hatchet job, the mock, everything we've been through. Okay, I think he's been self-medicating. One of the possible side effects of naproxen is a decrease in the prostaglandin, which protects the stomach lining from its own And he knows that. That's why he hardly ever takes it. Why would he suddenly take so much? To get rid of the migraine headache that comes with taking too much effects or in bourbon at the same time. He took too many antidepressants? I can't say for sure, but yeah, I can say for sure. We'll be keeping him here for a little while. Mother of Moses. Listen, she goes out of her way to take an interest in my interests, and I want to do the same, and she loves. I know what she loves. I need a crash course. They have tours. What do you mean? They have sex in the city tours. Open-air buses that drive around the West Village and go to all the locations and shoe stalls in the show. The buses are filled with women who know every line from every episode. It's three hours. Three hours? 
If you really want to make Lisa happy, you'll go to Sex in the City School and take the tour. I don't know if I want to make her that happy. Let's start with McConnell and the hostage worth taking. Thousands. Did you bring Jane up from Washington? Yes. You should go back and Jim's work. got it for a few hours. Tell me how this Jane is needs you. Jim's got it. Why is this story different? It from... just is. That's a child's answer. Did you read it? Of course I read it. It was a hatchet job for my idiot ex-boyfriend. You've got them before. You've got them from him before. It isn't worth the weeks you've spent. It's almost... It... Two weeks you've been sliding. Greater fool. I read it. The greater fool. Why do you care this? Because much? they're right. Easy. I know they're not. They're right. He's Being right. a cynic is easy. What's Reality is... isn't, trust me. This piece was right about everything. Stop. Enough. It's been two weeks. Get up off the damn mat. You want a Don Quixote? Oh. This is it. Now, by the way, this is what brought him down. Nobody's brought you down. Night of the mirrors. He holds up a mirror and shows him. Stop it. Shows him. I mean, he doesn't fight him with a sword. He shows him with a mirror. What a total fool he looks like. Brian was the Knight of the mirrors, and that's the chapter we're up to now. Nobody's brought you down. You'll get back in your chair, the red light will go on, and you'll go to that place you go every time I don't you think I'm there. coming back. I have a story I don't want to write. Then don't write it. I have one source, and if I get a second one, I'll have to. What is it? The night of May 1st, the night we got Bin Laden. Was Will high on the air? Was he high? Was he high on the air? Who the hell told you that? My first source. You got lied to. I didn't. Nina, you got lied no, to. No, I promise it's an unimpeachable source. And if I get a second one... God damn it, Nina. No, listen to lie. me. I'm trying to help you. Solomon. Retaliation for raising the hue and cry about global listen, clarity. Look, I respect you. I respect what you're trying to do. Nothing's harder than doing something for which you know you're going to take shit. Then why won't you just... Because if you're the face of the story, you'll contaminate it. I see the NSA story on ACN, and then I hand over the TMI proof. Hand it over now. So you can destroy it? No. So I can help out a friend who's a lot like you. And he will not rest until he's reported the NSA story, assuming it's as solid as you say. Then you won't need me at all. Solomon. If I give you the TMI proof, you won't need me at all. Do you know how many years it's been since my kids have come over for dinner on Sunday? No. Now, when I was watching this for the first time, I think my first inclination to seeing Will with blood all over him was that the person who had been threatening Will had actually succeeded. But, of course, that was quickly dispelled. Uh, and, and so Brian evidently wrote this piece that was not very nice to Will. But did he, in fact, write the truth? Is the truth that damning? I mean, that's what Will said to Brian at the end of the, uh, the episode was, you know, just write the truth. Um, was it a complete hack job like Mac implies? I guess we'd have to read it ourselves to actually know. Um, but as bitter as Brian was by the end of the last episode, um, maybe he did slant it uh, just to hurt Will and Mac because he seemed very, uh, you know, pissy about... Uh, Will's whole thing about the debates and everything, and then Mac finally put him in his place, and Will set him up to say, just write the truth, but again, we'd have to actually read the article to decide for ourselves whether this is just Mac's opinion. Um, obviously, it didn't do much good for Will, but it doesn't really say whether it's the truth or not. Will seems to think that it's the truth as you listen to him throughout the episode, so... 
Um, I don't know. I don't know if he, we should really blame Brian uh, for Will's ulcer or Will just uh, taking it all too personally for Will's ulcer um, and doing all those meds. Silly guy. As for Will not coming back, um, you know, again, the one of my big problems with the newsroom story has been it seems like it parallels the West Wing almost too much. And it's okay to have a writing style, but to continually go back to these same old tropes, um, you know, Will saying he's not coming back, that sounds an awful lot like Bartlett saying he wasn't uh, going to seek a second term in season two uh, in the finale, you know, right up to the last point where he finally puts his hands in his pocket and turns and smiles where we all know that he's going to run. Um, and I'm not saying that Sorkin is simply out of ideas. It's just that the, these same situational tropes seem to pop up in his leads often. I'd be interested to also see if that trope shows up in sports night someday, if we ever cover that, which I'm sure we will once we run out of other seasons, if that's what you haven't voted for again, um, whatever we're covering next, you can find at the website now at the What's Next tab there at sorkincast.wordpress.com. One thing that I do like about this season overall is how Sorkin kept in mind threads that were really important to Will personally, and he found ways to use them throughout. I mean, here we go back to the whole Don Quixote thread, um, and that was a good example of this. I mean, we first heard that at the very beginning of the season, um, and it was kind of used as a motivational thing, and now we're seeing it as a downfall. Now, there's a part later where he even starts quoting things from it when he's coming back. I'll have cut that part out. Um, But I I love the way that Sorkin found to just tie in key parts of the news night's fate to the story of a knight fighting windmills. Um, that's a great metaphor for, for what this whole news organization is. Um, there's another musical through line that has come through, uh, in the last few episodes of the season as well, but we'll cover that when we get to it. As for Lisa, I mean, do you think Sorkin made Lisa like the whole sex in the city show just to make the HBO guys happy? Or is he maybe actually commenting on its fantasy nature later on um, in the show, in this particular episode? For me, you know, if if Sorkin is kind of uh, commenting on how he doesn't like the fantasy nature of, of Sex in the City, then he's probably on a little bit of shaky ground because there's an awful lot of fantasy in his kind of shows as well. Um, we're going to get to that in a bit though. And finally, as for Nina fishing around in the guise of warning Mac, I mean, we've not seen Nina have any kind of conscience or anything. She was trying to get the second confirmation from Mac. Seems pretty obvious to me. She was just trying to dig in there and act like she's being all concerned about it in order to get Mac to admit it. And then if Mac admitted it, bam, then she's got the, the source um, unless, of course, Mac said off the record. Um, but Mac was at least smart enough to plausibly deny it all. So um, that that was a good move on Mac's part. Otherwise, it could have been big trouble uh, right off the bat. 
Um, and of course, because of is the phone hacking, as we find out later on, then, um, you know, you can actually see Nina for what it is. Now, at the time that this scene first airs, if you're on your first airing, you might actually think that Nina has a little bit of a conscience here, but it becomes more and more apparent as you go along that uh, Nina probably uh, was just fishing for a second confirmation so that she could run with the story. And I guess that's it for this particular clip. Let's move on to clip two, where Sloane tells Don that she's leaving Newsnight, and she tells Don that she was actually waiting for him. Jim tells Mac about Don asking Maggie to move in with him, and Will explains why he wanted the article, and Mac tells Will about Nina having the Bin Laden story. Then Jim has to tell Charlie that Solomon Hancock killed himself, and then Charlie lets Neil go ahead to try and fish out the commenter making the threat, despite Lonnie's protest. I've been talking about it almost every night since the midterms, and I haven't moved the needle at all. Well, you're not going to move it in venture capital. I'll get paid. You're just having one of those days. Will says he's not coming back. Ask a boxer who's just been knocked unconscious when he like to schedule his next bout. Friday will be my last day. You made up your mind? Yeah. I have three days to change your mind. No, if you're living together, it makes it harder to break up. Well, that's the idea. You have to get cartons. You've been no help at all. Since I'm never going to see you again after Friday, I feel like I can tell you something. We'll see each other. Uh, maybe not after I say what I'm going to and say. And you're not leaving. I don't know who told you you're a bad guy, but somebody did. Somebody along the way. Somebody or something convinced you of it because you think you're a bad guy, and you're just not. I'm socially inept, but even I know that. So because you're a bad guy, you try to do things you think a good guy would do. Like committing to someone you like, but maybe don't love. I, I could be wrong. I almost always am. Why are you single? A lot of men are intimidated by my intelligence. No, seriously. Because you never asked me out. Don's asking Maggie to move in with him, which is great for Don and the world. They put Fresca in the vending machines. What? The vending machines have Fresca. Maggie's now. moving in with Don. He's asking her. What about the speech I gave you? Which one? What do you mean, which one? You give a gather lot of... Gather ye rosebuds, Jim. When I told you to gather ye rosebuds, did you? I did. Yes. But... What? I accidentally gathered the wrong rosebuds. What are you talking about? I took action. Very night. I went to Maggie's, but before I had a chance to say anything, Lisa kissed me and we were out the door. Why? Lisa thought I was there to see her. Why? Classic case of that happening. That was two months ago. Yeah. And what's happened since? I've been dating Lisa. At the end of Camelot. God. See? What? What happens at the end of Camelot? England goes to war with France. But King Arthur finds a stowaway, a young kid, and he orders the kid to run from village to village telling everyone about Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table so that everyone will know what's possible. The magazine piece was supposed to be my young kid. Do you have any life philosophy that isn't based on a musical? Hey, Dulcinea, I wasn't the one who came in a year ago talking about Don Quixote. It lit a fire under your ass. It lit my ass on fire. That's not the same thing. Thing. You have to stop telling people you're not coming back. You're scaring the hell out of them. They need to be prepared. No, they don't. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. There's just one thing. I've got some very bad news. I'm kind of maxed out on bad news. Can it wait? 
Last night, a man rode his bicycle to the middle of the Queensboro Bridge and jumped off. They've just identified the body as... No. Solomon Hancock. He killed himself last night. All right. Call your parents once in a while. It's really not that hard. Tell me where he lives and I'll kick you in his door. I get we only have an alias, but he fucked up once already because of his ego. He'll fuck up again. Let me keep smoking him out. Excuse me, Mr. Skinner, I'm sorry. You can just leave that on Millie's desk. She's not here right now and it was messengered. It says personal and confidential. They all say personal and confidential. Well, I'll take it. Yes, sir. How are you going to smoke him out? I've already taken credit for the death threat. Now let me say the FBI call me. His head will explode because he and his friends know the FBI is way outclassed, outnumbered, and, and technologically behind. You want to prove he didn't get caught? Yeah. And what happens then? I don't know. That's always my favorite answer. Charlie. Please, I... don't mess around with these Go guys. ahead. I'm sorry. Do it. Great. Thank you. So... Sloan leaving was kind of a convenient way for her confession to dawn, but it's really not that much of a stretch when you think about the fact that if she has been fighting this uphill battle this whole time and she feels like she hasn't moved the needle, she might as well make money while she can, right? Because working at Goldman would be a pretty decent job. Uh, and, you know, she could make millions and millions and not have to worry about being the object of everyone's affection. Although she might find more crude people uh, in that field. I don't know. I'm just, now I'm stereotyping. I shouldn't do that. But uh, I'm sure that most of the people who work on Wall Street are very much professionals. But nonetheless, um, it feels like the, the, the one linchpin that might actually make her make the decision to leave would be the fact that Will wasn't coming back. Because then there's no hope. Because she's probably not going to get the same kind of airtime, especially when she's been fighting McKenzie for the last few weeks about just getting on there about the debt ceiling. So it makes sense. Um, you know, I, I can understand her frustration uh, with putting in all of that effort um, and the public seemingly showing her efforts to be pretty much a failure. But again, it, it does feel like that Will was the actual pen that kind of unhinged things. And, and then this whole thing with Don... Well, it seemed like the whole leaving thing was a good excuse to get to this place where she confesses to Don that uh, she, you know, likes him more or less. Um, and I like the way that she paints Don a whole lot. He's not a bad guy. He's just a guy who might not actually be in love. Um, and his behavior has kind of demonstrated that to us all season. And the way Sloan puts it is very interesting. And it actually becomes hard to dislike Don anymore, or at least for me it does, you know. Um, and then he still tries to be the stand-up guy and says he really does want to make this work with Maggie. And maybe he really does. Um, but, you know, I, I think Sloan's pretty good, <laughs> actually, at observing things from the outside. And she kind of called it the way it was. And, again, that doesn't make Don a bad guy. It just makes him a guy who's maybe not in love. And then we get to this other tie-through that uh, I was talking about in terms of musicals. It started out with the first Blackout episode with Brian and Will. Uh, and now is becomes kind of a big part of this finale and uh, especially uh, when you think about the very end of this episode, but the kid at the end of Camelot, 
um, you have all of that tie through about, you know, how Will wanted to, you know, the message to get out about how good Newsnight was. And then you have uh, the being high thing coming back up, uh, which, again, this kind of seems like the last nail in the coffin, you know, as to whether he actually can come back. And again, that reminds me of that poll that Joey Lucas brought for Bartlett at the end of season two, right? That seemed to be like the last nail in the coffin and made him make his decision. Now, the Mackenzie Jim thing about gather ye bro- your rosebuds uh, was something that I left out of last week's clip. Um, but, uh, you know, based on this conversation with Jim, it becomes clear that Kenzie is trying to get Jim and Maggie together because she can't get her and Will together is more or less what it is. So I, I, and again, the whole thing with Jim and Maggie, she pushed Jim towards Maggie because of the whole parents thing, uh, which we got at the end of that episode. And now we see um, with this admission, you know, it's like, you're just going to end up like Will and me, two people who should be together and we're not. Um, and, uh, you know, she uses that comparison yet again. Now, as for Charlie, uh, and him finding out about uh, Solomon Hancock, I, I really felt bad for him. I, I'm sure he was feeling very responsible for Hancock in a, in a way. But I, I remember thinking at this point the first time around that maybe the NSA had actually snuffed him out. Of course, something that you can't get in an audio podcast is the address that was on the envelope um, that Charlie gets. Um, it had a return address of the East River, um, something that I cut out earlier and later was a recipe for beef stew. Um, that's what's actually in the envelope, but it was a nice kind of misdirect um, for us to think that he actually had information from Solomon Hancock. But the fact that the address was from the East River um, and it was about that specific conversation about beef stew uh, that shows that Solomon did actually take his own life. It wasn't an NSA guy, so it didn't take long to figure that out. But it, there was a moment, just there for a moment, that I thought maybe the NSA had actually taken Solomon Hancock out. And uh, that envelope handoff happens during the, the Neil, Lonnie, Charlie meeting. Um, and here's what I don't get, though. That blackout stuff happened back in June, according to the dates. And these events happened in August, according to the dates. So why is Neil just now coming up with this idea about the threatening troll? Because it's been like two months. It took him that long to figure out how to do this. I mean, the threat, you know, the guy claimed that he made the threat in the chat room back in June. How, why would it take Charlie two months? I mean, it's just like they're trying to continue the story, but when you're using such a span of time for dates and all of that, then um, it just kind of makes Neil look dumb, and I didn't really appreciate that a whole lot. And I guess that's all I have for that clip, so let's move on to clip three. A potential news story and a revelation about the Bin Laden source gets Will back into action. Maggie's having dinner with Lisa, and it turns hostile, and then her revelation to a tour bus that Jim happens to be on makes things even more complicated. But when Maggie goes to break up with Don, his asking her to move in brings things back to the status quo that they were before. 
Why did my them. aunt become less American because she doesn't have a car? Yeah, that's a reasonable reason. Why, young man, isn't this the first story on the news every night? She usually decides. Shut up. Okay. I want to see this story on the news. I kind of want to see it on the news, too. Well? The voicemail message. What you talking about? The voicemail message that I left you that night after I got home from the Bin Laden broadcast. Did you play it for anyone? I never got a message. No, I, I left you that message that started, hey, listen, it's me. I'm not just saying this because I'm high right now. Did anyone else hear that message? I didn't hear that message. Mac, there is no way that you don't remember what that message said. It wouldn't be possible for me to remember what it said because I never got it. And it wouldn't have been possible for me to play it for someone else because I never got it. Nina's first source was you. Yeah. Guys, I don't and understand. That's why TMI is waiting for the second source. They can't reveal how they got there the first. There was no message. Because your phone was hacked. And they deleted it. This is okay with you? He's working hard. On a Sunday? Yeah, on a Sunday. We've all been working all weekend, and Don's been helping out, and it's not even his show. What are you trying to say? Nothing. I'm sorry. What are you trying to say? In a year, you've gone nowhere? Wait, is that exactly what it was like when the two of you started dating? Swing by around midnight. I'm, I'm not saying he needs to take a knee, but holy cow, how many times? I get it. Do you? Yes. Maggie, Stop. it's hard to watch you. It's hard to watch you! What does that mean? The night you and Jim got back together... When he came to our place to see me? Lisa. What? I don't... Don's not sure he was there to see you. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? I'm wrong. What do you mean he might not have been there to see me? You kissed him and you pulled him out the door before he finished his sentence. Why? Because she too has a job. And mostly when you fall for a guy and he's going out with your best friend... It doesn't work out. Things get really bad. Maggie? <gasps> no. I was just... I was talking about other people. Stay right there. <laughs> Maggie, wait. Let me off. I'm with Lisa. And you're with Don. I don't know if I want to be. If Don had committed to you. He didn't. But if he did. Neither of us would be standing here. We should get some sleep. You too. Don, I was disappointed and embarrassed when you didn't... Okay. Don, I was disappointed and... What's happening now? I'm asking you to move in with me. This is a key. I already have a key. This one's in a box. I badly want to make this work.
Hi, you've reached the voicemail of Maggie Jordan. I can't get to the phone right now, but please leave a message and I'll get back to you. So with Nina really kind of being outed in a way, and she's fishing for this story, I, I mean, do you think that maybe Reese put her up to being at the New Year's party in the first place to try and find out stuff? Um, or is it just a coincidence? And as for the message itself, well, I mean, the way Will makes it sound, uh, like Kenzie would have had to remember it, right? It seems like he said something really personal, maybe an admission of love. Uh, we don't get the end of the message at the end of the episode either. We don't get all of it. It's just, he's, I never really, whatever. And um, the fact that she didn't get the message and never commented on this message, I mean, maybe that's yet another kind of nail in the coffin as to why Will brought Brian in to hurt her back so much. Um, because, you know, she she obviously never got the message so she didn't answer and he says in that message he says look if don't say anything if you don't have the the response i want to this more or less um and you know if she never responded then he would have thought well okay she just blew me off yet again so i'm going to hurt her more with brian maybe you know, just looking for motivations as to why Brian was there in the first place, other than just side-by-side comparison bullshit. Um, as for Lisa, I mean, I really felt bad for her, and I completely understood her anger. I've really grown to love Lisa over this season, and that just felt like, you know, total betrayal, because Maggie did push Lisa back to Jim, and Lisa had been trying to stay away from Jim because... Maggie, you know, she knew how Maggie felt about it. Now Maggie's finally admitting it yet again. It's like, you just wasted months of my life. And the fact that Maggie's going to move in with Don, um, you know, it makes it hard for us to believe that we're ever going to see Lisa again because there's no real connection um, other than uh, her and Jim. Maybe we might see her with Jim. I don't know. We'll have to see if we cover season two, if Lisa even returns. But I felt really bad for her. I've really grown to like her character. I thought she was really strong. And again, I totally, completely understood her anger. Um, Maggie's more or less just playing games, and it didn't feel right um, that she should have pushed Lisa back to Jim if she didn't feel that way, you know, because of the way she felt about Jim. As for her Sex in the City rant, um, again, I'll, I'll just reiterate what I said earlier. I, I kind of call shaky ground for Sorkin because here he's expressing anything about the fantasy nature of that show. Um, and he's just the one that had, you know, the one bus <laughs> that Jim is on be the one that Maggie goes off on. That's fantasy. What are the odds of that? So it, it just seems like, um, I don't know, maybe he's just poking fun at himself in a way too, but it just felt like, you know, it's, it's like if you're commenting on the fantasy nature of sex in the city, um, make sure that you're not putting your characters in a similar kind of fantasy situation. Again, maybe it's just supposed to be part of a larger joke, but oh well, uh, enough complaining about that. Uh, you know, the, everybody was waiting for that moment for Jim and Maggie to finally kiss, blah, blah, blah. You're, all you shippers out there and the, the, the love triangle that became the love square and now was Sloan in there, I guess, is now a love pentagon. 
you know, I, I just, I get so tired of that stuff. But I will give this to Sorkin. I mean, he's gotten pretty good at trying to get all of the viewers happy and miserable at the same time because of this Jim and Maggie thing. Um, and, you know, just like you knew that they were going to have to kiss before the end of the season, you knew it wasn't going to work out. It feels like very much like a Friends episode, and I'm I'm not a big fan of that. But, um, you know, I know lots of people love Friends, but I, I don't need... Ross uh, 2.0 in Jim, more or less. Anyway, uh, let's move on to clip four. And this is a big one where Will, Mac, and Charlie have a showdown with Leona and Reese. Were you high on the air the night we killed Bin Laden? I was. You're admitting it. Could not feel my face. Well, you were very good. Thank you. You're welcome and you're fired. You can't fire him. Yet I just did. Okay, but if you do, your son's going to jail for a little while. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You hacked my phone. You got some proof? That's how Nina Howard knew that Will you was You got high. proof. Solomon Hancock. He's an NSA analyst who was giving me information about illegal domestic surveillance. He jumped off the Queensboro Bridge four days ago. But before he did, he had this envelope sent to me. It's a record of Reese ordering hacking of phones belonging to Mackenzie McHale, Howard Stern, Casey Anthony's lawyers, and relatives of hostages killed by Somali pirates. It's all here. Leona, didn't you ever ask how TMI got some of the information it published? I just assumed they made it up. They do, most of the time. But Nina didn't make this up. In this case, I thought that someone on the staff... It's a transcript in this envelope. Did you order hacking... Reese? I ordered that the magazine stay competitive Answer with... the question. Did you order... Yes. All right, I did. Are you out of your mind? That's felony. This is how the tabloid world works, and that magazine turns a profit in a competitive market. And by the way, this is what you wanted. No, it's not. It is not remotely what I wanted, ever. Good enough. Course. I don't give a shit. Hand it to the FBI. I'll go to jail before I'm blackmailed. You're not going to jail. Not being fucking blackmailed. You get your lawyers, Leona, and I'll get mine. You're one of us. You know you are. Stand for something. These guys do. They were willing to lose their jobs. This guy does. He jumped off a bridge. They're lying, Leona. They're just lying. Bunch of fatuous, mean-spirited bigots. Screaming platitudes about what America stands for. Let's show them what we won't stand for. Let's do the news. You and me. And what about this? And the tape? You're going to kill the story about Will. Ours was the best coverage of the night, and Will anchored it beautifully. No more tabloid stories, and I'm going to make it easy for you because you're shutting down your tabloid. You want to shut down a profit center? You reported $14 billion of net revenue last year. You won't miss the $80 million from TMI. And what reason do we give publicly? You don't fancy yourselves the owner of a whorehouse. You get terrific press. You know me well enough to know I do not negotiate like this. This wasn't a negotiation. They're going to do their show. You think about it. And whatever happens next, happens next. 
give six months salary to a school or something. Will. Don't shoot and miss. Lucky for Will, he's got the aim of a sharpshooter who's been trained to shoot and hit the target that he's... You can't just start to say something with... The, the clip kind of, you know, speaks for itself in a way. And I, I love it when Waterston and, and Fonda are in a scene in general. I mean, they're just awesome together. And um, they've worked together since this show in a Netflix show called Grace and Frankie, uh, which <laughs> coincidentally also has Martin Sheen in it. Um, so it's a whole bunch of Sorkin peeps together again in another show. Different writer, though. It's not a Sorkin show, but it, it's funny to see all of these actors who have the Sorkin tie. I think a while back, um, I think uh, John and I were talking about, you know, uh, six degrees to Aaron Sorkin, just like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, it's kind of a similar thing here. Uh, but this particular scene is really the defining moment for the show in a way, because I mean, it's basically the same thing as Bartlett putting his hands in his pockets and turning away and smiling. But I, I love again that it turned out to be a beef stew recipe rather than anything actually damaging to Reese. Um, I mean, that was one hell of a bluff to pull off so that you could get the tape uh, of Reese's admission. Um, so now they do have evidence, even though they didn't before. The thing is, is that it's actually good that Leona made Reese answer because he obviously wouldn't have otherwise. And then they'd have all been sunk. They'd have been dead in the water. So again, things just kind of took a fortuitous turn uh, for our heroes, so to speak. And, and Reese looked like a, a jerk. Uh, and I love Leona's, you know, thing. If you're going to go after these guys, don't miss because, uh, you know, as long as I'm already in trouble with everybody in Congress. So let's just uh, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Um, which puts a lot of weight on the whole news broadcast that we'd been seeing throughout the the whole episode, which, again, I, I cut a great deal out. But Another great scene. I love how Leona is so shocked that Reese would do this as well. You know, a mother's shock. Nothing like a mother's shock. So there you go. Let's move on to clip five, the final clip where Sloan decides not to leave and then tells Don that they should avoid each other from now on. Things stay awkward with Jim and Maggie, of course, in the wake of what happened. Kenzie reveals her prompt cards to Will that she used at the Northwestern speech, and then Neil reveals that his plan went bad. Will finally recognizes the Northwestern girl, who has been hired as an intern, and we find out at least partially what the message from Will to Mac was, as Nina puts it in the trash. Bring it home. Who is the girl sitting in the back of the newsroom? I don't know. Listen. She's been sitting there all day and all through the broadcast, and I feel like I know her. Yeah. The greater fool is actually an economic term. It's a patsy. Thanks for that. For the rest of us to profit, we need a greater fool. Someone who will buy long and sell short. Most people spend their lives trying not to be the greater fool. We toss him the hot potato. We die for his seat when the music stops. The greater fool is someone with the perfect blend of self-delusion and ego to think that he can succeed where others have failed. 
This whole country was made by greater fools. You're staying? I heard you were staying. Yes. Yeah, I will still be working here, as will you, and I am mortified. <laughs> we will both be working here, but we will never speak or make eye contact ever again, starting now. I don't think that's realistic. I just turned down $4 million a year so that I can try to do some good by reporting the news. Do I sound like someone who's living in the world that's realistic? It's real. Starting now. I can't be sure, but I think you're avoiding me. Lisa said you guys had a good talk. Yeah. She asked me who I really came to see that night we got back together. And you lied to her. You made her very happy. I figured when you didn't answer your phone... You, you knew Don was asking me? Yeah. You're a good guy. So is Don. Jim. You know, I'm not done with that NSA story. I'm going to make sure Hancock isn't dead for nothing. I got asked the question at Northwestern, what makes America the greatest country in the world? There was a woman who looked like you sitting in the audience. I mean, there were a lot of lights and a lot of noise in my head, and uh, I could have sworn that the woman who looked like you was holding up a pad. It was you? Yeah. It was you? Yeah. What did the rest of the message say? There's a girl sitting in the newsroom. Don't worry about no, her. She looks familiar She's to me. She's applying for an internship. She's been waiting all day. Why does she look familiar? Excuse us. What can I do for you? Tell him, Colombo. I, uh, I went on the message board and posted that I'd been caught and that I was now being used as an FBI informant. I did this in the hope of smoking out the real culprit because, you see, the only thing these people cherish more than anonymity is worldwide fame. So by both taking credit and implying we'd been defeated by the... What FBI, happened? You got a hundred new death threats. A hundred? Really more a, a, a protest than a threat. Is that how the insurance company sees it? No. no. So we're still... Yeah. It was over and now it's... Yeah. Well, I'm glad you two are on the case. Sorority girl! Don't be scared. You're the girl, right? I'm Jennifer Johnson. Just graduated Northwestern? Stay calm. A year early. You asked me that moronic question, and then my world came apart, and she came here, and I landed in the tabloids, and I got death threats, and my job is constantly in jeopardy, and you ruined my life? Again, just stay calm. Yes, that was me. What the hell are you doing here? I'm applying for an internship. Why? I watched the show, and I read the New York Magazine article, and I know what a greater fool is. And I want to be one. Camelot. She's a kid at the end of Camelot. Ask me again. I'm sorry. Ask me your idiot question again. What makes America the greatest country in the world? You do. Hire her. Hey, it's me. Will. Listen. I swear I'm not saying this because I'm high. If the answer is no, then just do me a favor and don't call me back or bring it up or anything. But I have to tell you, I mean, after tonight, I really want to tell you that I've never stopped. So the final clip for season one of The Newsroom, I mean... Sloan's mortified, right? And Don's probably mortified as well. And, and Jim's miserable, which probably makes Lisa miserable and Maggie's miserable and everyone's miserable. 
um, someone kind of has to break this mold one way or the other. Uh, I'm really dumb with the love Pentagon thing, but uh, it's going to persist, evidently. Uh, we'll have to see to what extent if we get to cover in season two anytime soon. I don't really have much to say on the Neil stuff. It was just kind of a funny moment, I guess. But um, the problem that I have is they had been building up Neil's character to be, you know, really competent and and potentially very good, and and now he he seems not only inept, but I mean, again, two months it took him to come up with this idea and then to have it fail. Um, maybe that's something that happens in the real world. I wouldn't think so. I would think that if Neil is that competent, that he would have failed in July, not August. You know, if he came up with this idea in June. Or if he first discovered the uh, the threat person in June, and now there's a hundred more new death threats, which is just great. It, the guy got his troll club to get in there and, and do more. So um, none of them are probably credible, but it it just feels funny. It's like we'll, we'll never get rid of Lonnie. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's supposed to be some kind of joker or something. But I don't like the way it makes Neil look. As for the Will and Mackenzie stuff, I mean, that was all sweet. And I thought when Will was freaking out, you know, that stuff I put in the rundown, that was funny, but it was kind of expected. That seems to be what Sorkin likes to do with this character. Um, I did love the girl at Northwestern coming back at the end of the episode to be the kid at the end of Camelot. Um, I thought that was a nice way to thematically wrap up that whole bit. And... I guess finally, as for the message, it gives us just enough to where we're supposed to think about it during the hiatus. I think that was what Sorkin was trying to do. Um, again, it just seems like Bartlett putting his hands in his pocket. You technically should be able to deduce what the rest of the message said, but he's not going to, Sorkin's not going to lay it out for you. Um, and I remember on a first watch, I thought for a second that Nina might not actually delete the message. Uh, but I was glad to be wrong. That may be the, the most, um, I mean, obviously she can't use it because it's illegal. But and, and so she's doing herself a favor by getting rid of any of the evidence. But uh, at least it was a moral thing. She didn't uh, just keep it around in case she needed it as a card uh, later on. Again, I don't know how she'd use it, but it just seems like the kind of slime ball thing that Nina would do. And she didn't. So I was glad to be wrong about that. And I guess that's all I've got for this particular episode, so let's get to my rating. I'll just say my rating right up front. Again, I have a special 10-point grading scale that I use. You can find it at the website, sorkincast.wordpress.com. Um, I'll give this an 8.5. I mean, it had some nice kind of emotional moments. Almost every storyline got addressed um, with some new teaser threads for a second season. Um, to me, this show has not been quite as high quality as West Wing. And it has nothing to do with the acting or um, the writing. But it just feels like the repeated tropes um, that I guess are part of Sorkin's style. Maybe I shouldn't complain because that's just part of his style. But um, since I am looking at all of these Sorkin different kinds of shows very close together, um, the similarities are, are just kind of sticking out at me, and, and that makes the whole thing 
on a whole a little more disappointing. Uh, I would hope that he could take things in different directions with each show. Um, again, I don't begrudge him for keeping a certain style if that's what he wants to do, but um, it, it, some of the stuff is just a little bit too similar, too comparable for me. Um, but still, you know, as a finale, 8.5. It's not a bad rating. It's definitely a good episode. Um, that's all I've got for that, folks. And thanks for watching Season 1 of The Newsroom with me. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. Remember, we're going to have a feedback episode one week from today. And your deadline to get me any feedback regarding Season 1 of The Newsroom is this Tuesday, December 6th. You must do so by noon your time, wherever you are in the world. If you're in Moscow, noon uh, for Moscow. If you're in Honolulu, noon for Honolulu. That way I can record that podcast that Tuesday night and have it up on the feeds for you the following Sunday. That includes your Season 1 Newsroom Awards, if you wish to include those as well for nominees. Favorite and least favorite episode, favorite and least favorite scene, favorite and least favorite main character, favorite and least favorite guest star. And thanks again so much for listening. Really appreciate your time. We'll see you back next week where we will announce what we're covering next, when we will start covering it, and uh, all of your feedback for Season 1 of The Newsroom. Take care. Thanks for listening. Bye. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840. The Sorkin cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV network.